Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. You ever heard of a show called Doomsday Preppers? These are people who have gone to great lengths to make sure that they are prepared for everything end-of-the-world type stuff, whether it be the last great world war or a biological attack or, or famine or even a zombie apocalypse. They are ready to go. And the thing is, is that they have built homes either in the ground or in the mountains or wherever. They're fortified. They're stocked with food. I saw one the other day where the guy even had a filtration system in where every bit of air that came into his place was filtered and UV rayed and all that kind of stuff. It was just amazing to see the expense that people have gone to with that. And whether you agree with it or not, you cannot fault them for preparing for the worst day of all of our lives. But today's parable addresses the need for all of us to prepare for a day that will come. And that is the return of Jesus Christ. We have seen in the news in the recent weeks that people have either prepared or stubbornly not taken the warnings of Dorian seriously. There are some that they got out of Dodge and there are some that said, well, we've been through another one. We'll be through this one. And and sometimes it works out well and sometimes it doesn't. But the warning was there. Now, for some of them, they were inconvenienced. Maybe they were without power for a little bit. Maybe they had some trees or debris in their yard. But then there were some that lost everything, even their lives. And so you and I have gathered today to hear Jesus and his call for us, you and I, to get ready for his return. And Jesus speaks about this future And he brought it up in the subject of Matthew 24. And if we just look at verse 1, I I put in your notes here that we're looking at 24 and 25. Don't worry, we're not going to go word by word every verse for chapters 24 and 25. But I'm giving you the highlights so you can go back and get the full context of what Jesus is saying here. But what we see here, and he sets it up in Matthew 24, verse 1. He says, as Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. They were like, oh, look at these great temple buildings, all these buildings that are comprised of the temple. But Jesus said, as only Jesus could, do you see all these buildings? I'll tell you the truth. They will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. This got their attention. They wanted to know what he was saying, and they asked for more details. And as you read in chapter 24, you will see that Jesus tells them, don't be misled by people that come and tell you that they are the Messiah because they are fake. I am the real one. Don't be misled, and there will be chaos, and there will be war. He says there will be famines and earthquakes. There will be followers of Jesus that will be arrested And there will be persecuted and killed. Folks, that may not happen in Anderson, South Carolina today, but it is happening overseas every day. If you ever want to get a good view of how how that looks, go to a website called thevoiceofmartyrs.com. And it will give you an education on the true spiritual battle that's happening with our brothers and sisters. Those that claim to know Jesus Christ are spiritually our brothers and sisters and they are being hurt maimed and killed for their belief in Jesus Christ. And that's going on today. And it says there will be a number of false prophets, will be many, and sin will run the world. 
unrestrained. As crazy as this world is, folks, isn't it good to know that God is still in control? I don't know about you, but when I walk by a yard and I see a dog, I need it to be, you know, just barking. I want to stay away from that dog. But if I see that there's a fence or a chain, I'll get a little closer to it. And that's what the devil is. He is a barking dog, or the Bible says, a roaring lion. Folks, a roar ain't going to bite you. It'll scare you to death. And it'll make you tremble in your shoes. But folks, God has got the reins on the devil right now. Until one day, he's going to turn it loose and let him run wild. We see in verses 30 and 31 of Matthew 24 that Jesus says, And the last, at the last, the sign of the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all people of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and will send out his angels with a mighty blast of trumpets, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heavens. I'm telling you what, if you think it's loud here, you ain't seen nothing yet. The sky is going to split and the trumpets are going to blare. These warnings are what Jesus gives us today to put the parables that we're going to look at into context. So our first point for this morning is actually found in the first parable of Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. And what it shows us is, that your temporary actions lead to eternal consequences. Your temporary actions will lead to eternal consequences, meaning the things you do today will affect your tomorrow. It's like I tell teenagers, the guys that you date today will determine the kind of guys you marry. Look at your spouse and see if I'm right. Or think about your spouse. Some of you say, well, preacher, he's the only person I ever dated. Well, you got what you got, Right? But the thing is, is that whether it be dating or whether it be what we do with our money, whether it be with the kind of jobs we choose to take, the kind of activity we used to or choose to take in the the church, those are making us what we are. And these small choices will be making eternal consequences. Let me show you what we're talking about. Anyone who has either been married, planned a wedding or attended a bridesmaid or as a groomsman knows that there is a lot that goes into a wedding. Unless you were like my parents and just ran off to Florence and got engaged with the justice of the peace. But when it came to the wedding for Donna and I, I was grateful for two main things. Number one, and she's looking at me like, what are you going to sing? And there's nothing I hadn't said to her before. Number one, I was grateful that I was marrying the most beautiful girl in the world who continues to get prettier every day. Had to say that. And it's the truth. Number two, the bride is in charge. That's all I needed to know at the wedding. The bride is in charge. I got a lot of mileage out of saying these two words. Yes, dear. Guys, let me go ahead and tell you. Yes, dear goes a long way. And I'm telling you what, that, that wedding, that there is much to prepare for. And I figured that I'd get a few amens or at least uh some of our ladies giving an amen today when they talk about all the work that they put into their wedding. But uh, <laughs> thank you, Ross. All of the preparation goes into this lifelong commitment. And from for some, it worked out. And for some others, not so much. But 
You didn't know it at the time. When you go into that commitment, you, you make a commitment for a lifelong commitment, right? But let's read Jesus' parable that uses the illustration of preparing for a wedding as a plea for you and me to prepare for the second coming. It says in chapter 25, verse 1, it says it's the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Some translations say the ten virgins. But it says the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. So when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Notice here, there were five bridesmaids that took action, and there were five bridesmaids that decided to go to sleep. Their desire for sleep, their physical need for sleep, overtook their spiritual need to be prepared for the bridegroom that's coming. So in verse 6 it says, At midnight they were aroused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All of the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to the shop and buy some for yourselves. Some might say, Well, that was pretty cold of those Five that had the oil to not give some to those that didn't. But the truth is that they would have given that oil to those five that didn't have it. None of them would have had enough. And then they would have all been embarrassed. And they would have embarrassed the groom because of that. And it says in verse 10, But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you, so you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of our return. When I read that, I think of in Genesis as the rain was coming for the first time they had never seen rain. And Noah had built this ark. He was a laughingstock of everybody until the waters started to rise. And then all of a sudden they said, hey, open the door. And he basically said, look, I didn't, I didn't close the door. God did that. You know, it, was, it must have been excruciating to see that. There will be a day where people will want to get in that didn't make any preparations to get in. And they will be disappointed. What we see here is two types of needs. We see, number one, in the, the five foolish bridesmaids, we see that their physical needs overtook their spiritual needs. Physical needs like sleep in this passage. A physical need says, please me now. A physical need says, worry about the spiritual stuff later. A physical need says, you can't live without me right now. Once our physical needs are met, though, you know it, you've been hungry or you've wanted something, whether, you know, whether it be good for you, bad for you, and you want it, and all of a sudden you say, man, I... You know, you go to that, that restaurant and you say, man, I had that onion rings in forever. And then you get those onion rings and, oh, they feel so good until about an hour later. And then you have to go raid the cabinet to find all the tums you can find. But that craving, you wanted that right now. Think about the biggest mess-ups in your life usually have revolved around your physical cravings. Whether it be eating or intimacy or greed 
or whatever it may be. When we have made our dumbest decisions, it has been because we were thinking with our physical needs first. Many of you know what I mean. When you take a long trip, do you really need a clock? When you're on the road, your kids' stomachs will tell you when it's 12 o'clock and 6 o'clock. And as you get older, some of you senior adults, you all know exactly when it's 11 and 4. Because that's when you eat, right? Well, that's okay. Our physical needs are telling us what we need. But spiritual needs, we look at the five Bridesmaids who are prepared. Spiritual needs are not rooted in pleasing yourself, but pleasing Jesus. That is what our spiritual needs are rooted in. Spiritual needs are not based in the moments of what we want, but it's based on the convictions that we have. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, the time to compromise your morals is not when you're in that room or in that car or in that situation where it's too late to make that decision because the decision you need to make to compromise your morals or not to compromise your morals needs to be made at the house before you go anywhere. Because when we wait until the moment, the physical always takes over. But the bottom line, preparing for Jesus' return will reveal who you love more, him or yourself. In your decisions, that will reveal who you love more. The point of this parable is your relationship with God is your own, not the responsibility of someone else. Man, we live in a day and age where everybody wants to blame somebody else for their problems. Oh, I've got a condition. I've got this title or somebody did this to me and this is why I've got this. Look, look, I understand there are environmental factors and there are genetic factors that that deal in how we become and what we become and who we become. All of those are influencers. But bottom line, at the end of the day, we are who we choose to be. And it's time for us to step up and own that because this culture loves to blame other people and things for their problems. It's kind of like it it floors me that years ago there was somebody that got coffee at McDonald's through the drive-thru. It spilled in their lap and they sued McDonald's because the coffee was hot. It's coffee. And they won the suit. It it, it blows my mind. Well, the second parable we see is that we need to use what God has given you. And in this parable in verses 24 through 30, this is the parable of the servants. And I'll give you kind of a, a, a highlight here. Each of them was given an amount according to their ability. In other words, The master did not give them more than they could handle. He gave them what he knew they could handle. So there was one that got five bags. There was one that got two bags, and there's one that got one bag. So we got a five-bagger, we got a two-bagger, and we got a one-bagger. The first two used their money. They invested their money. They worked their money. But the third one did what the old country folks do. They don't believe in banks. They got mason jars and shovels. And then hopefully when they get old enough, they can remember where they buried them. And I'm sure that there are some yards here in Homeland Park that got more money than we can think about, but just nobody can remember where it is. But that's what this guy did. He said, whew, <laughs> this one bag of, of money, I, that, that's a lot to handle. That's too much for me. I'm going to bury it and put it in the ground. And so that's what happened. And so as the master returns, let's listen to what the master thought about the third man, the one bagger. 
He says in verse 24 of chapter 25, Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, and I knew that if I harvested crops and I didn't plant and gather crops, I didn't cultivate. He says, the master says, Why didn't you deposit money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. So that didn't go the way the man thought. The man thought that the master would be pleased with him for burying it in the ground. And the master said, well, at least you could have done is take it to the bank and drawn some interest off of it. Do something with it. Then verse 28, then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. So now throw this useless servant. Man, he is giving it to him. Throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, God has given you talents and gifts. God has given me talents and gifts. He's given them to each of us to do one thing. Glorify Him. Not to be envious if somebody is a three-bag talent or somebody is a two-bag talent. You might be a little one-bag talent, but God has given it to you not to hide in the pew, not to hide at home, but to use it for His glory. Because you and I will be judged with what we do with them and what we do not do with them. You and I will be judged with what we do with our talents and what we don't do with them. No one received more or less than they could handle. Being overwhelmed, you cannot say, well, God, you just put more on me than I could handle. So I just couldn't do it and I buried it right in the ground. What was that little song we used to sing to kids? Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it. Yeah. When you get older, it's like, I'm going to bury that thing in the bushel. Ain't nobody going to see it. God ain't happy with that. Failure would indicate only laziness and hatred towards the master. So think about this. Yes, if you refuse to serve God with the gifts he has given you, it's not a time problem. It's a heart problem problem you and i serve those we love parents you serve your children because you love them grandparents you spoil your grandchildren because you can but the truth is is that we serve and we honor those we love and then we see in our last passage that you will be judged at jesus's return in matthew 25 verses 31 through 33. It says, but when, not, it says, doesn't say if, it says, but when. But when the Son of Man comes in glory and the angels with him, then he will sit upon the glorious throne, his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Folks, we see that there will be a separation. Now, as, as we begin to, to go down this rabbit hole, I want you to think about it. When, when Christmas comes, we're going to have our Christmas, Christmas songs, we're going to have our Christmas decorations, and we're going to celebrate the birth of the king. And when we have Easter, we are going to celebrate his resurrection. But nobody's celebrating his return. If you believe in the birth, 
and you believe in the resurrection, you best believe in the return. Because he's not a two out of three God. He's an all the above God. And he is coming back. And there will be a separation. Just like a worker in a factory separates good product from the bad product. God will separate the obedient believers from the phonies and the wannabes. Everyone will not get a participation trophy. Everyone will not get into heaven, regardless of what your culture or your understanding or your beliefs say about it. The Bible says that you will not get into heaven if you do not have Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. I'm not trying to be closed-minded. I'm just telling you what His book says. And there will be a separation. And then also we see that God values those who are true to Him. God values those who are true to Him. It was common for shepherds to raise sheep and goats together. And that wasn't bad. I had to do it. Talking about sheep, you got to throw that in there. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Okay, last time, really. Sheep and goats, they, they would graze together, but the problem is, is that when it came time to shear the sheep, they would have to, se- have to separate the sheep from the goats. And then so they would have to separate them into two places. And actually, the sheep were more valuable because they could shear the sheep and use their wool for, to get money you know, in the market. But also, here's the thing. You ever try to get a goat to do anything? They're stubborn, aren't they? Anybody ever had to deal with a goat? Yeah. They're stubborn. A sheep, they will mind. They will do what the shepherd asked them. But the goat, they may, they may not. And so we see here in this parable that he separates the two people. The true believer being the sheep. His sheep. They are my sheep. They know my voice. No one can snatch them out of my hand. You, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are one of his sheep. But if you are pretending to be a Christian, if you have got every Baptist accolade there is, you could be an RA, a GA, a Sunbeam, an Actine, a you just name it. You could have all of those in your little folder at home. Perfect attendance pens. And you can remember back when Sunday school was this and when the church was running this and you got all these memories and you got a pew that's got your buttock marks right in the middle of it where you sit every week. That is not a badge of honor. It doesn't matter what your pew says. It doesn't matter what your records say. What matters is what is in the Lamb's book of life. That you, as Jesus Christ, as your Savior and Lord, and then you began to do something called producing fruit. Not praying a prayer, just producing fruit. Being an active, breathing Christian. Sheep are considered more valuable, and we show ourselves true when we love one another. It says in Matthew 25, verses 44 and 45, it says, Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or a sick person or a person in prison and not help you? And he said, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. 
Folks, there will be a judgment. You won't hear this in a lot of churches. And as I said, I've been going through the parables of Jesus. This is the 15th message that we've gone through with the parables of Jesus. And these are his parables that are talking about the end day. And I would be remiss if I didn't tell you about the judgment that he is talking about. In your Bibles, if you go to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, that's the last book of the Bible, almost at the end of the Bible. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. As you're turning there, let me tell you, how many of y'all enjoy a good award show? Anybody? Now, some of you, man, the Grammys come on. Preach, you got to end this. Grammys are coming on tonight. Or the Tonys or the Oscars or the whatever else they use to identify themselves. Or how about, remember, Beta Club banquets? Some of you, even as grandparents and friends, are going to... Awards where somebody is going to get a a plaque or a ribbon. And I know in the fire department we have award banquets. And and when when we were younger, the sports banquets where they would recognize all the athletes. Everybody loves to get a trophy. And it's you are judged not on what you didn't do, but what you did to go above and beyond. So what we're talking about here in this judgment is this is not the first judgment. This is not the whether you're going to heaven or hell judgment. This great white throne judgment is what every Christian is going to go through and where we will be judged on what we did or did not do with the talents that God has given us. It is the very physical manifestation of the parable that Jesus just told us a few minutes ago. And it says in Revelation 20, starting in verse 11, And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence But they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And check this out. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And this is cool. The sea gave up its dead. And death at the grave Gave up their dead. All of these funerals that we've gone to, all these people that we've seen pass away. When I go to my parents' grave, if I'm still here, I hope I'm not here. But if I am, they will be gone because the dead in Christ will rise. Whether they be in the ground, whether they be in the mausoleum, whether they be scattered or where they be in the depths of the sea. It says that they will come and be judged at the white throne judgment. And it says the sea gave up its dead, the death gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. All means you, and all means me. You may never have heard of this, or maybe you've heard it so much that it just becomes second nature to you. Maybe it's just lost its punch. But the church has known for 2,019 years that Jesus is coming back. And what have we done to prepare people for that? What have we done to prepare ourselves for that? What have we done to prepare our home for that? What have we done to prepare our loved ones in our neighborhood for that? Look, a biological outbreak or a world war or whatever happens to take us out, that'll kill our body, but our spirit will still be alive and have to be dealt with. So who do you identify with in Jesus' parables today? The bridesmaids. The foolish bridesmaids with no oil in their lamp. Or the wise ones that were ready. 
Oh, and by the way, the use of the term oil that Jesus used in the, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, oil was seen as a symbol of having the Spirit of God. There were five bridesmaids that had the Spirit of God, and there were five that let their physical desires snuff out their need for the Spirit of God. Maybe you're like the servants. Two used what God gave them because they loved and respected their master. The other acted like he had a relationship with the master, but really didn't. He did not respect the position of his master or the things that he entrusted him with. Think about this. If God has given you gifts and you've refused to use them, what does that say about your love for him and your appreciation of them? He did not respect his position or the things that God entrusted to him. And then finally, maybe you can identify with either the sheep or the goats. The goat that hangs around the true sheep and blends in, but does not belong. Here's my biggest fear, folks. We are going to have the second coming. We are going to have the rapture. And Jesus is going to call his church home. And then the churches are going to be no change in attendance. Because there are people that have a religion, but they do not have a relationship. So if you are not preparing for Jesus' return, please heed his warning today. Accept him. Live for him and serve him and be rewarded by him. Because Jesus reminds us in these parables that there is no time like the present to begin preparing for his return. What we do today matters for today, for tomorrow, and for eternity. So it's time to take our faith and his words seriously. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, live in the fullness of that. If you are not, today is the day that you can accept it. I tell people all the time, Jesus talks about the fact that if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Either live for God or live for the devil, but don't try to do both, because that is misery. If you want to enjoy your time here, enjoy it, and that's all you're going to have. But if you want eternity, if you want all that Jesus offers for you, don't let your physical needs and your stubbornness keep you from what God wants you to do and what God wants to bless you with. If you want to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord today, if you want Him to forgive you of your sins, if you want to make sure that your name is in the Lamb's book of life, you can come forward. I will pray with you. Our church will rejoice in that decision. Maybe you want to join this church or be baptized, or maybe you just want to come to the altar and pray. Whatever your decision is, now is the time for you to respond.